in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Biggest game of the week is tonight. The United States plays Honduras in a World Cup qualifier. The U.S. will be without two potential starters in Tyler Adams and Chris Richards, both out with injuries they sustained against Canada over the weekend. The United States is playing this game, by the way, in Minnesota, where temperatures are expected to be in the single digits and the wind chill is supposed to bring this game, or the temperature there, down under zero degrees and nobody can quite figure out why they're doing this other than they don't think the people from honduras are going to be able to play in cold weather i'm sorry i blacked out for a minute when you started talking about come on we're gonna qualify for the world cup adam get it together i'm so okay we're gonna we're gonna okay we're gonna qualify for the world cup got it I am i am gonna fire up all my jingoism at one time here usa USA, make Honduras play in the cold. Thank you. As long as we win, we're all good. A lot, listen, if they lose or draw today, that's going to be devastating. And we we might not make the World Cup if they don't win today. Please say tie, because if you say draw, then I think win, lose, or draw like the game show. And I know you're not going to know that reference, but a lot of our audience <laughs> will. And so that's why I'm throwing it out there. But win, lose, or draw, full game show territory. Great question. Thank you. Wait, is it a good game show? I mean, it's pretty much Pictionary on air. Eh, I like Pictionary. Oh, so it's draw like actually draw. Hey! Okay. Sounds like a good name. Can you can you tie and win, lose, or draw? That is an esoteric question that I don't know has ever been answered. I, I don't know. Okay. You know what? A TV game show where you tie might be the <laughs> saddest 30 minutes of television ever to air. Like, yay, we're really, what happened? Wait, n- nobody won? <laughs> you come back tomorrow? Okay. The Washington football team is now the Washington Commanders. They officially announced their new name this morning, even though it had been leaked and reported for what seems like months. Um, what do you think of Washington Commanders as we are the forefront of logo and nickname talks in Las Vegas sports? We are. And so because of that, I'm going to give a little bit of opinion, but then I'm going to get to what I think is the real point of all of this. Uh, It's fine. It's not terrible. Were there better names out there? Yeah, probably. Um, I actually would have preferred they stick with Washington football team because at least it has a little bit of character to it. Uh, The commanders is interesting. And I will, uh, I lost the tweet now, but there was a tweet earlier and I'm sorry, I'm not giving proper credit that said, Commanders displaced Redskins could also have been a head to headline from 1890. Uh, but that is where we are today. Um, the re- And that's my real point in all of this. Let's not lose sight of the fact that it was only a couple of years ago that Daniel Snyder was saying, I will never change the name Redskins. Never. And we got him to change the name Redskins. Like the fact that we no longer have the most racist nickname in all of U.S. professional sports is really the point here in the end. Yeah, and like you said, it wasn't that long of a time frame to actually get here. Uh, My logo and nickname opinion is this. It is very boring. The W logo that they introduced, very boring. The nickname Commanders, 
very boring. Granted, it does fit in with Nationals and Capitals, the other sports teams there. Granted, I don't think those are particularly good either, but all of it is very boring. I will say this though, it reminds me of most of our logos and stuff in sports, where have they been using this logo and this nickname since like 1920? Everyone would tell you how great it is. Everyone would tell you it's a classic. Everyone would be like, oh, what a great nickname. What a great logo. But because it got introduced in 2022, most people hate it and think it's terrible. Well, if you're going to look at this logo and say, you know what? It was a really safe choice. Think about who you're talking about. You're talking about Daniel Snyder. <laughs> if Daniel Snyder made a safe choice, we need to pat him on the head and give him treats. <laughs> That's a great, great question. Texas Tech beat Texas 77-64 yesterday. Chris Beard's return to Lubbock. Did you see the videos from the day before when Texas Tech fans were like outside the Texas bus pulling into their hotel? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Is there a lot else to do in Lubbock on a Monday afternoon? But okay, fair. Uh, they also entered the arena last night walking over a mat with Chris Beard's face on it. Um, the <laughs> article that I read by the AP talked numerous times without actually specifying what they were about the vulgarities that were being thrown at Chris Beard. Um, <laughs> and if you're mad in Lubbock, if you're mad about Chris Beard leaving Texas Tech, what should we be doing here in Vegas? Right? Like, he at least got them to a national championship game one shot away from winning the whole thing at Texas Tech. We had him for a week. <laughs> I do think that's my favorite part of this whole thing. Because here's the thing. If you're a Texas Tech fan, you should absolutely be, like, furious about Chris Beard. He went to an in-state rival. He went to another team in your conference that's played in the same state as you. But I also feel like you should have known this was coming. Like, when you have a coach who – because UNLV was the obvious, like, highlight here where he was here for two weeks before taking a Texas Tech job – but this is a guy who would left jobs after single seasons repeatedly. And I don't blame him. He was moving up the coaching ladder to get a better job, get more money. But, like, it was very clear. Chris Beard staying at Texas Tech when he had some success and somebody bigger came offering, he wasn't staying there. So eh, they kind of deserved it. I'll tell you what. And I, that I, that is a perfectly valid way to look at it. I will say about Chris Beard's situation that college basketball is the rare place where these obscure schools that maybe you haven't heard of having huge success before, and I'm not going to say Texas Tech is obscure when Bob Knight coached there, but in terms of overall large athletic success within your department, Texas Tech qualifies there. If he had chosen to stay at Texas Tech, I think he could have built a sustaining national power at Texas Tech the way Mark Few has at Gonzaga. So I'm not sure it was the you-have-to-do-it move that it is in other places. Next question. Lane Kiffin wants a salary cap in college football. How long have NIL deals been legal? Not very long. Lane Kiffin said yesterday, we don't have the same funding resources as some of these other schools do for NIL deals. It's basically dealing with different salary caps. Now we have a sport that has completely different salary caps and some of these schools have whatever, five to 10 times more than everybody else and what they can pay the players. Um, Lane Kiffin sort of lays this out. It sounds like a good argument for UNLV, maybe not for Ole Miss, but uh, isn't he just describing college football before NIL deals too? 
apparently our theme for the entire day here is going to be saying the quiet part out loud uh, because that's what NIL is. This is what's been going on forever. It's just happening above the board instead of below the board. And so Lane Kiffin's going to try to use it as a reason to artificially restrict things in a way that benefits Ole Miss. Well, guess what? You're already in the SEC, dude. Right. You're already in the freaking SEC. You're right. Marcus Arroyo should be out there screaming from the mountaintops about an NIL salary cap and talking about the moral victory of winning one. Like, I do find that to be the funny part is that if you're Ole Miss... Like, how many schools are actually above you in terms of, oh, they can pay their players more through NIL deals or whatever? Like, it's a relatively small number. If you're, But if you're like UNLV, if you're pretty much any team in the Mountain West, it's basically the entire 65 teams that are in the power conferences that are ahead of you. It's a complaint for the Mountain West schools. It's a complaint for the group of five that Lane Kiffin has adopted probably because he lost a recruit to like Alabama or Auburn or something like that. And he was like, well, they gave that kid way too much money and I can't, I don't have anybody to give him that much money. We could only offer him half of that. So whatever lane, find some more people to pay some players and go win while cheating at Ole Miss. Oh, there's a fan screaming about that. By the way, cheat. the SEC will be leaving CBS for ESPN in 2024 on a 10 year, $3 billion deal. I think there's some change in the couch cushions if Lane really wants to find it. Next question. The 49ers were close to starting Trey Lance after a 3-5 and five start to the season. Kyle Shanahan said, quote, it was close to Trey Lance time when the Niners were 3-5. and five. The Niners, however, won three straight after that, and Shanahan thought the playoffs were realistic, and Jimmy Garoppolo held on. To the starting job that tweet from matt barrows um so here's here's the conversation that you and i kind of have a lot about a bunch of different teams and different sports and the idea of tanking versus winning at all uh the 49ers made the nfc championship they absolutely came close to getting to the super bowl they had a you'd say it's a very successful season to be one of the last four teams playing should they have still started trey lance though to see what they have before next season no, I don't necessarily think they should have because of how good that roster was around him, but I could also make the other argument and talk right out both sides of my mouth and say that if this roster was good enough to win with Jimmy Garoppolo, were they good enough to win with Trey Lance? Just look at the improvement in the Houston Texans game that Trey Lance played in the latter part of the season that he made in the second half of that game from the first half of that game. Trey Lance could have been the difference in this team going and making it to the Super Bowl versus making it to the fourth quarter of the NFC Championship game because maybe he is the kind of quarterback who could have led a comeback the way Jimmy Garoppolo ultimately didn't, and that's not to play total recency bias. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo lead a field goal drive at the end of the Green Bay game to get them to that spot, but you know, we talk all the time about seeing what you have because of this. When you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, it is the single most valuable asset financially in all of professional sports that's why joe burrow and the bengals are set up in such a good spot moving forward here man you know that's a great question liz cambage is not happy with becky hammond's salary uh liz cambage tweeted yesterday ah yes the wnba where a head coach can get paid four times the highest paid player's super max contract LMAO, and y'all think I'm going to spend another season upgrading my seat on a flight to get games out of my own pocket. 
Presumably, this is in reference to Becky Hammond, who uh, was reported by Sam Gordon, will be making more than a million dollars as the Aces head coach. Uh, sounds pretty clear. She's not Liz Cambage is not going to be playing for the Aces next year. Might not be playing in the WNBA. How much merit does her, her conversation have, though, about players only making about two hundred fifty thousand dollars compared to Becky Hammond getting over a million? Man. That's one interesting way to say the new coach isn't going to be Bill Lambeer and playing a three post-up system. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Liz Cambage is, is partially very right and partially very, very wrong. Uh, she's very right that the salaries in the WNBA are comparatively terrible, but also that the WNBA as an organization, look, this is the same organization that wouldn't let the Aces, when they were owned by MGM, charter a private plane to go play in a game where they couldn't make it work with commercial travel, right? The fact that you're claiming there's some sort of competitive advantage in allowing a team to charter so that Liz Cambage doesn't have to upgrade her seat is patently ridiculous. But here's the part where she's wrong. Why are we going to tear down the fact that Becky Hammond's making over a million dollars? Right. Let's yeah. celebrate the fact that Becky Hammond is making over a million dollars as breaking a barrier for a female coach anywhere in this world. Right. That was probably my biggest problem with it is that is everything perfect in the WNBA? Absolutely not. And and we know that. And Liz Cambage, absolutely. They should complain about the salaries like that. They should do that if they think they should get paid more. But the idea and again, she didn't explicitly name Becky Hammond and she didn't say Hammond doesn't deserve it. But to kind of take the swipe at Becky Hammond when Mark Davis for Whatever you think of him as an owner, I think one of the things that we've seen over the last year plus here when he bought the Aces is that he seems committed to trying to like improve the Las Vegas Aces, improve the WNBA, and part of that is giving Becky Hammond a big contract, and that's something that should be viewed. If you're in the WNBA, that should be viewed as a good thing, even if you're not getting it, even if that's your coach or would have been your coach if you're coming at the Aces, and you look around and say, well, what the hell? Why is she getting more than me? At least it's somebody that's getting more in the sport that you're in, even if they're the head coach, even if it's completely different, I think that's where Liz Cambage kind of swung in this. There are much better ways to approach that and to handle, hey, why aren't we getting paid nearly as much as we think? All right, coming up next, Major League Baseball. We, uh, is that going to happen this year? We'll see. Swing and a high fly ball, right field, coming over, getting under it, and making the catch for the third and final out to put the ball game away. The Marlins have done the job. They win this one 2-1. to one. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Adam Candy in for Ed Graney today. And Adam, I, I don't think we haven't done a show in a little bit, and I'm curious... Uh, about what you've been thinking about Major League Baseball. We had a report yesterday from Jeff Passan uh, about the players and owners who did meet yesterday but didn't make any significant process. And Jeff Passan said the on-time the on-time opening of spring training at this point is in grave danger and, frankly, would take a miraculous deal coming together to rescue a delay feels inevitable. Spring training, the games, supposed to start February 26th. Uh, catchers and pitchers if we had a CBA, would be reporting in about two weeks, February 15th. First game of the season uh, is scheduled for March 31st. Um, I mean, I, it sounds like Jeff Passan is probably right here that spring training is going to be delayed. But 
your thoughts on where we are with uh, labor negotiations or, or non-negotiations between the owners and players. Well, my thoughts in general are that Rob Manfred is the worst commissioner in professional sports, <laughs> and it's not close. He, he has made clear at every turn that he sees the game not as anything of a sport of a pastime and solely 100% as a vehicle to crush financially until every last dollar has been wrung out of it. Um, that being said, I think if you're going to look at this, uh, the article in The Athletic by Evandrelic and Ken Rosenthal from earlier this week is probably the one that lays it all out in the greatest detail because they said, look, a, a new CBA in baseball is not close. Minimum salary, arbitration, luxury tax, service time manipulation, draft lottery, international draft. There are so many issues that require some level of compromise to get done here that we already knew there wasn't going to be a spring training. If we have any spring training, I'm going to be shocked. Major League Baseball has already made clear through its preferred media sources that they're okay losing games this year, too. They don't care about the regular season. They didn't care during COVID when they had a 60-game regular season. They were going to have less. It's okay with them. They don't mind that as long as they get a postseason where roughly 93% of the teams qualify and they can put more games on air and have more to sell to the TV networks as postseason baseball to the point where we're going to get to have like a home run derby between the Pirates and the Marlins to see who gets the first spot to play a five-inning playoff against the Mets in the National League. That's where we're going <laughs> with Major League Baseball right now. They don't care. They are so far apart on how you compensate players at the beginning of their careers. Just look at this. They're talking about a pre-arbitration bonus pool that would help out players between zero and three years in terms of the best players would get more of this pool in exchange for a highly restricted minimum salary. The owners offer $10 million. The players are advocating for $105 million. It's not about that money being, wow, only $95 million apart in a multi-billion dollar sport. It's about the multiples of revenue that is that we're talking about here. So my thought is that Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball are perfectly willing to destroy the sport in any way they can to wring a few more dollars out of it. And if you are counting on this season starting on time, I would highly, highly suggest getting more involved in the NHL and NBA. Can you take us behind the curtain for a second? That uh, line in there about Pirates and Marlins having a home run derby to figure out who gets into the five-inning play-in game, was that like pre-rehearsed or did that just come off the top of your head? No, I literally thought about that as we were. That was great. That was phenomenal. Oh, I... thank you. Thank you. <laughs> because... No, I, 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 look, Tyler, I'm going to be really honest with you. Like, Take everybody a little bit inside the, uh, inside the baseball here, literally. Uh, as the music was playing to end this break, I looked at the rundown and was like, what are we talking about now? <laughs> Perfect. That's how we do it. Yeah. Uh, I am. I'm, I would watch, though, Marlins Pirates home run derby to get them into a five-inning five playoff game. I'd watch. I'm, I'm already thinking to myself about what the, um, what the ESPN you know, hype video 30-second <laughs> ad would be like. Like, Cabrian Hayes against Jesus Aguiar for the right to play against Buck Showalter in a five-inning game <laughs> to see who gets to the seven-inning game against the Washington Nationals. <laughs> so, but I think the 
the comical part in, in the negotiations, or at least what we get in terms of reports from the negotiations, is like the owners don't really seem to want anything on the financial side except to say no to the players. Like they they just like, yes, they want a DH and they want more playoff teams and all that. Like that's, I guess, what the owners want. But like all these negotiations, it's kind of just the players saying, hey, we don't think these six different ways of how you compensate us are fair, right? And the owners don't really seem to actually want anything out of that other than to just say, well, we no, we don't care that you don't think it's fair. That's how it is. And that's how it's going to be. And like you're, the, the arbitration pool is a great example because technically the owners have made a counter offer where they're willing to do this new arbitration pool where these guys in their first couple of years can get paid more if they're the really good ones. But it's such a laughable counteroffer where the players are asking for one hundred five million, and the owners come back with with ten million dollars. Like it's such a laughable number that it's like, oh, okay, they don't want anything. They just want status quo on how much money they're making and how little most of the players in baseball are making. If you look at the last time there was a CBA negotiation, the Players Association under Tony Clark got destroyed. Right? They were roundly considered to have been taken behind the woodshed by the owners in terms of the situation. And now the owners are negotiating from that position. Right, So if you went to a store and paid a lower price than you expected for an item because it was mismarked on the aisle or something like that, you would not go back to that store and say, well, you know what? I'm now going to evaluate the price based on what it should have been instead of what I paid. No, you paid what you paid. And so the owners have locked out the players. Let's not forget that. This is not a player strike. I've heard that be confused by many people. This is a lockout. This is the owners saying, until things are on terms that we like, we're not going to come back. And the owners are out here, like you said, in no form of good faith attempting to negotiate. It's the players negotiating against themselves. So if you have any sympathy for the owners in this situation, I ask that you walk into your job, and when your boss tries to tell you that you're going to make less next year, you say, that's okay. I was already making a pretty good amount of money. Over under first baseball game of the year, May 1st. Mm, that's the right number. Because uh, I think everybody on the owner's side is willing to lose a month. I'm going to stay optimistic because I love baseball. Uh, and you say fool. under. You fool. Yeah, I know. You're I such know. a fool. I love it too. I'm sitting here saying that. Uh, it's, March 31st I mean, is still going to happen. <laughs> no, I mean, look, you, you traveled to a city with the full realization that you might end up having to go to the National Funeral History Museum instead of watching a World Series game. <laughs> that is a man who is willing to bet on baseball happening. I'll say under, but not by a lot. I think we're going to go into April before the season starts. Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but it is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. We have coming up in about 10 minutes, whenever we're done talking to this fool, Luke Bryan tickets to give away. So if you want to go see Luke Bryan, stick around, suffer through this interview with Jason Fitz, and then you'll have a chance to win some Luke Bryan tickets. Good morning, Jason. Do you have a Luke Bryan story for us? I mean, my God, I spent uh, a substantial amount of time on tour. My first tour with the band Perry was uh, it was us and then Luke Bryan and then Tim McGraw. And uh, I do remember 
uh, one one night where uh, somebody somebody pantsed McGraw because I dude, dude just like always seemed to wear sh- wear shorts everywhere. So somebody pantsed him that day uh, backstage, and so in the middle of the show, uh, somebody came running out in their underwear from Luke's band. I don't remember who it was, but but there, there was a lot of underwear antics on that tour. Uh, good guys, by the way. I will. Uh, I mean, Luke Luke spectacular entertainer. I'm pretty sure if he farts, like, it'll rip the jeans. They're so tight. But that's part of why people go see him. Like, it works. <laughs> tight jeans and potentially no jeans. Luke Bryan tickets coming up a little bit later. All right, Jason. How do you feel about Jason McDaniels? You excited about this hire? You like the Patriot way coming to Las Vegas? Look, I, the, the funny oh, thing man, is to whatever. me, and, like, this is the analogy I always use for coaches, but it, it's important here. Like, I think a great football coach is like a chef on chops. So they open up a basket of ingredients, and they're like, what do I got, and how do I make something delightful with this? And Josh McDaniels, as an offensive coordinator, has done that repeatedly. Think about how often we've seen the Patriots under Josh McDaniels completely change who they're going to be offensively, not just season to season, but even week to week, and find ways to beat you. So like, I, I think that there is something to that from a coaching standpoint. Frankly, I don't really care – what happened in Denver? Like, uh, I'm 44. Josh McDaniels is 45. So, like, if I had to stand up on a podium today and answer for all the ignorant things I did when I was 31, like, I, I don't know, guys. Like, I-, I think we've made too big a deal of some of that. I do think there's a real opportunity for second-time coaches to look at what didn't go right the first time and say, you know what, maybe I'm a jerk. Plus, like, sometimes you just have that revelation. Like, I'm a much nicer person at 44 than I was at 24, and it just took me waking up one day and saying, like, ah, I don't want to be that guy. So I think there's an element of all of that that can be personal growth. If he can bring his level of creativity offensively to the Raiders, if that's his mindset, if he can require that from all of his coaches, then this Raiders team is going to be better for it. Somebody's got to bring discipline to him. Jason, I want to carry that chopped analogy out for a minute. Uh, Let's say Josh McDaniels is a sous chef at a Michelin star restaurant where we know the quality of the food. We just have no idea with as many hands as are in the food who actually made it, right? Whereas Rich Masaccia was sort of the private chef on Chopped, where no matter what you got out of him, you look at it and you're like, I know that's what Rich Masaccia did because thrown into the situation he did this year, he engendered the kind of loyalty from his players that has left some of them still seemingly pretty upset here. I'm not saying Rich Masaccia was necessarily the right guy for the job, but... Do you worry at all about some of these professional athletes and their transition from one coach to the next? Well, first, if I, if I was Mark Davis, I would have kept Rich Passaccia, frankly. I, would, I, would, I think that there's an element of if that didn't get you the opportunity to get the gig, then what are we doing? Like, I, I thought he absolutely nailed everything that could be asked for him, and sometimes a head coach is just meant to be a CEO, and I think he's, he's proven that he's a great one. I would have kept him. That being said, will the players respond to Josh McDaniels? Yeah, because for the most part, it's business like that for everybody that's out there. We watch these things because we love the game and they started playing the game because they love the game. But just like I joke about the fact that when I left the music and people ask me if I miss music all the time, I'm like, well, wait, wait, like I'll still sit and play the piano at my house. Like I don't, I'll always make music. I love music. I don't miss the music business. The NFL is a business for so many of these players that are involved in it. So yeah, they'll rally behind Josh McDaniels because that's how they get paid exorbitant amounts of money. Uh, to your point, though, of not knowing what comes out, I think that's the bigger concern on the other portion of this hire that we haven't talked a, a lot about. Like, Ziggler, we have absolutely no proof of concept 
of anything. Like, we have no idea. We all know Bill was calling all the shots there. So, just like we don't really know which draft picks were Mayox and which draft picks were Gruden's, we have no idea if any of it. Like, did Ziegler walk into the draft room with a board that they used for, like, a, a, a coffee, like a, a, a little, like, coaster? Or was it actually like, – we have no idea there. Okay, were you – relieved to hear Dave Ziegler say he was going to have final say on roster decisions or like you just said we don't know if that guy's done anything so maybe it's not good if he has final say on roster decisions I'm relieved because power is being put where power needs to be put and to me the other part of it is it also speaks to understanding delegation like I talked to somebody years ago that had been around a first-time NFL coach and I remember so distinctly the story of like that coach had been in the building of that facility for like a week and came in one day and lost their mind because of the toilet paper that was in the facility. It wasn't up to par for what they needed to have. And that story wasn't told to me like as a, this guy's an idiot. It was told to me as a, there's so much on a new coach's plate. Sometimes they just have a hard time figuring out what's important and what's not important. Like, I think the job of head coach has so much ahead of it for most people, most human beings, that I want somebody else to have last say, because I want somebody else to be more entrenched in everything else. So, to me, the right power structure, especially in a situation like this where McDaniels is getting his second and likely last shot as a head coach in the NFL, like, I, I, I want him to worry about being a coach, and then I want the GM to worry about giving the coach the right ingredients. Second-timers in the NFL look like they're going to include Jim Harbaugh uh, this year, and we were talking earlier about what the ceiling is for Michigan versus for, let's say, Minnesota or any other head coaching job in terms of how you view success. And we were saying that it feels like Jim Harbaugh has reached about what is the realistic level for that ceiling as long as you're going to have to deal with Ohio State every year. What are your thoughts on Harbaugh potentially moving back to the pros? Yeah, I think you're a thousand percent right. And this is sort of what what Harbaugh does. When he gets to the level of like, okay, I've, I've climbed this mountain and everything from here is only going to be downhill. And realistically, I got a better chance at downhill than I do at uphill. I'm going to find something else. And that, I mean, we saw that uh, at, at some point Stanford has sort of peaked out. At some point, the 49ers sort of were who they were going to be. And he, he'd done what he thought he needed to do there. And then he goes to Michigan, finally gets the college football playoff in a weird year. Like, this was the best year Michigan could have asked for. And in some ways, some of the worst that Ohio State was going to ask for. Ohio State is playing in a much different league right now than Michigan is playing, from recruiting to the coaching staff of the way it's built to even the facilities that they have at this point. So if you're Michigan, you're looking around. If you're Jim Harbaugh, you're saying, well, I can keep losing to Ryan Day more often than not, and I can keep losing one or two games. It's enough in that system to likely prevent me from winning a national championship, and that is the only thing I'll be judged by. Or – I can go to the Vikings where I'd be going to a division that, you know, Chicago's in turmoil. The Lions always stink. We have no idea if Fields is going to be great or not for Chicago. And we know that it's either end or near the end for Green Bay. So you can go into an organization that's proven that they're not scared to spend money, and you can go into an organization where, frankly, if I'm Harbaugh, I'd much rather have the Vikings job when it comes to actually being able to win football games than realizing one day that I have to take on Mahomes and Herbert four times every year. Like, that. that that doesn't sound fun. So I think it makes a lot of sense. He goes to a situation where he can have enough success early on that people don't question everything. He'll win double-digit games for a long time, and then when he's bored, he'll go do something else. If you're Michigan, are you calling Matt Rule? Yes, uh, a thousand percent. Uh, you know, if, if you're Michigan, calling Matt Rule makes sense. 
you know, because Matt Rule has had the success he's had uh, and because he's, you know, frankly not loved where he is. But Michigan, I mean, there's this weird spot where now you're going to have to realize that for whatever you didn't get out of Harbaugh, you got platform out of Harbaugh. Like, you're going to get platform out of Matt Rule. Like, is everybody going to talk about, like, that? that's the, the element of college football, like, Harbaugh was bigger than anything. We talk about Harbaugh even on shows that don't talk about college football. We won't do that with Matt Rule. But if I'm Michigan, no stone unturned, no check I won't write. Like, whatever it takes to make sure that I've got the biggest possible name, like, I don't care if I'm disrupting everybody else's program or the NFL. If we're talking hiring practices, we obviously should get to the story of the day with the Brian Flores suit and uh, your thoughts in general on what you've seen here over nearly the last 24 hours. Uh, this is uh, a landmark moment for the uh, entire future of professional sports and for the future of the NFL. And the NFL made a very quick statement, there's nothing to this. And what I think is laughable about that is that the NFL is used to taking on an opponent that they always know they can win because they can outspend anybody. So you can't outsue the NFL. Like, that's just basic one-on-one economics. But the other side of it is, like, at some point you can either outsue somebody or you can just settle with somebody. If you are Flores, you're looking around saying, hey, the minute I, I file this lawsuit, I realize I've just gone after one of the 32 good old boys in the NFL. I'm never going to coach again, right? Like, that, that has to be part of the mindset you realize is part of your reality. And if you're comfortable doing that, it means that you're doing this not because you want anything for yourself. You, you, I'm sure he's invested his money just fine. You're doing this because you want to make wholesale changes to the world. And to bring out, uh, you know, Belichick texts in the initial uh, information just shows you that, like, that there is not a bridge that he won't burn if it means changing the future of the sport. So this is dangerous for the NFL because what they rely on in situations like this is getting some sort of a massive settlement with a non-disclosure agreement so that nobody knows anything about anything. And if you're Flores, you're sitting around saying, no, thanks, I'm not interested. I'm interested in this getting all the way to court, even if it means I see less money because – I want people to be held accountable. That is the way change is actually made. And the NFL, every single organization, and this includes my beloved Raiders, every single organization right now better get ahead of it, look at everything that they've said to every candidate, and make sure that they are on the right side of this because they will be outed. I mean, I've already seen the Hugh Jackson uh, you know, reports coming out. There are going to be more coaches that come out and say, you know what, screw it, why not? Like, we can go after the league. i got nothing to lose. I can coach in college. And they're going to come after the league hard and the league isn't going to have an answer. This is going to forever change the NFL. All right, Jason, let me leave you with this. Who Does anybody wear tighter jeans than uh, Luke Bryan? No, no, a thousand percent. Although, okay. let's say this, too, like, no, no offense to Luke, because we all did this during COVID, but when I saw him on TV, it looked like maybe maybe those jeans might have to be a little a little, a little, a little bigger. Uh, so, like, maybe maybe now he goes a little looser with them, but uh, that whole band, like, they are, they are just, uh, you know <laughs> – it's right up to the nines. Like you, you, you can see every ounce of leg muscle. That uh, like uh, Michael Carter's is a guitar player, a great dude, a big producer. Has had a bunch of hits with a bunch of other artists, uh, and he's equally like. I mean, just uh, the paint them on, and it's the paint them on tour is what they got to call it. <laughs> All right, he's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, thank you. We appreciate it. Enjoy Luke Bryan. He puts on a great show. All right, here we go. Two tickets to go see Luke Bryan. He is coming Friday, February 25th to Resorts World Theater. We got a pair of tickets for you. You can buy them right now at AXS.com. 
but you can win a pair from us. Uh, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100 if you want to go see Luke Bryan. Jared, how high of a caller number do you want to do? I mean, I I was just gonna say because their you know their jeans are up to the nines. I was gonna say let's let's go with nine, but caller number nine seven zero two three six four eleven hundred. Tom, just want to congratulate you on a uh, unbelievable NFL career. Twenty two years, seven Super Bowls, multiple MVPs. I mean, really, no one did it better than you uh, during your time, and so it was an honor, privilege, just to watch you compete, watch you play and to do it at such a high level for so long. In your 22nd year, you were playing as good as you ever were. So, uh, you know, just unbelievable to, I watched you win a Super Bowl uh, when I was in college. I got to watch you win a few while I was in the NFL and I saw you win one when I was retired. That's a pretty uh, impressive career right there. So uh, good luck in retirement. Congratulations on an unbelievable career and uh, appreciate your generosity and at least sharing a few of those Super Bowls with me. All the best, pal. We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff, featuring Adam Candy. Since Adam Candy is in today, we got we to gotta do a little New York sports, which, by the way, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. How, what is your affinity towards Eli Manning? Like, how, how big of an Eli Manning fan are you? So, I actually did during Eli Manning's career own an Eli Manning jersey because I felt like he was underappreciated by Giants fans for what he did. And I think maybe that's why I defend Derek Carr to the level that I do where I'm like, (laughs) you can win with this kind of quarterback. Look, we got a couple of Super Bowls in New York out of him. I do think that video, by the way, even though I have said Eli Manning is not a Hall of Fame quarterback, that video right there should put him in. Good job trolling Brady in the quietest of ways. Love it. We have uh, taken into account not just his playing career, but also his post-playing career and the video messages that he sent to Tom Brady. And Eli Manning is now a Hall of Famer. I Welcome was, to Ken. Yeah, I was just I was just curious because I, I can't remember you ever, at least on this show that I've heard, being really pro or really anti-Eli Manning. I mean, I imagine there was some pro-Eli Manning since he was the quarterback of two Super Bowls, but... I, w- I was kind of curious because Eli Manning was a was an interesting hot button quarterback. Um, One of my favorite Eli Manning takes actually comes from friend of the show David Roth, where basically Eli Manning was elusive with no um, no mobility, like had no mobility whatsoever, but somehow would never get sacked. <laughs> I mean, the the most memorable play of his career is that. <laughs> I mean, did he move more than two yards when he managed to break that, break out of that sack and throw it to David Tyree? It's impressive. No, impressive. no, I don't, I don't think so. And, and then he came back in the following Super Bowl against the Patriots and dropped that dime into Mario Manningham's hands from forty yards away. And there aren't a lot of quarterbacks who could do that. I mean, yeah, Trent Dilfer was a lovely game manager for a generational defense for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, but Eli Manning actually did have a part in both of those Super Bowls. All right. How much do you love NBC New York, who yesterday tweeted, breaking Tom Brady, who lost two Super Bowls to the Giants during his legendary 22-year NFL career, retires? I have also, like NBC New York, never experienced what it's like to lose to Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. So <laughs> I think we're we're right where we should be. They are simply 
doing what any good news organization does. They are reporting facts. It is a fact. He lost to the Giants twice, including one that we know still pains him greatly as they are 18 and one. Uh, they did not have a perfect season. And when you see someone as successful and, you know, handsome and and wonderfully gifted as Tom Brady, you as the average person need to find some realistic way to tear him down. And for me, that's it. We never lost you in the Super Bowl guy who was the last person older than me playing. <laughs> okay, so the the greatest achievement an NFL team could have would be a 19 and 0, well I guess now 20 and 0 Super Bowl run. Would you rather be though the team that went uh 19 and 1 and won the Super Bowl? Like let's say you lost one regular season game, but you had a 16 and 1 record, you ran through the uh, playoffs and won the Super Bowl, but you had the one loss on your record. Or would you rather be the team that snuck into the playoffs, not really a great season, but beat the team that was going for an undefeated year? Oh, oh my God. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely knowing the answer to this question before you ask me. Like, I, I don't care that the Giants were not a great team the year that they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Matters not to me for a second. It doesn't matter to me that they missed two game-winning field goals in regulation against Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game and had to go to overtime, an overtime in which I jumped up off my couch to celebrate Lawrence Tynes hitting the hardest of those three field goals, and my dog literally jumped up behind me and bit me so hard in the butt that I had a bruise for a week. Like, I don't know if he was a big Green Bay fan or if he was just maybe caught a little bit off guard by the whole thing. So I would much, much rather have all the experiences I had on the way to ruining Bill Belichick's perfect season than being the perfect team. Well, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your dog bit you because you, was he scared? My dog didn't really understand sports celebrations. And so <laughs> he's on the couch with me, he's half asleep. I'm watching, you know, head in hands as this field goal is about to go up. I jump off the couch and yell. He jumps up, barks, and bites me in the backside. <laughs> okay, now, does your dog run away from you if you're watching sports? Well, that would be hard for him to do. He's in an urn next to my television. But, oh, boy. Uh, oh, he, uh, oh, the, man. The new... The new uh, dog, the new dog doesn't really uh, know what to do with sports celebrations because he's never seen me celebrate anything in sports in the last three years. I don't, I don't have anything. I'm not going anywhere else. Wah, that was wah, bad. Wah. That was bad.